The Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. And then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak For that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. The Gospel of the Lord. I speak to you in the name of God, who is Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. In the Gospels, two groups of people give Jesus more headaches than any other. Pharisees and the Sadducees. We can think of the Pharisees as ancient religious lawyers. The Pharisees pore over the sacred texts and memorize most of them. They seek to understand God's law and they seek to make sure that everyone else is following it exactly. The Pharisees are undisputed experts in what God expects from his people and what people can expect from their God. If Jesus wants to claim that he is the Messiah, the Pharisees are going to want him to prove it, logically, citing chapter and verse. The Sadducees are a different lot. 
Their primary concern is not Jesus' identity, but Jesus' teachings. Jesus says that the dead will live again, and the Sadducees simply refuse to believe it. Time after time, the Sadducees challenge Jesus' understanding of resurrection. And time after time, Jesus restates what he knows to be true. Jesus is immovable when it comes to resurrection, and the Sadducees are too. Jesus' teachings are not enough to persuade them. Jesus' healings are not enough to persuade them. Even Jesus' own resurrection was not enough to persuade the Sadducees that new life was not only possible, but was available to everyone as a free gift from God. The biblical record suggests that the Sadducees' views on resurrection were neither limited to them nor contained to Jerusalem. In this morning's reading from 1 Corinthians, St. Paul responds to to an argument that the Sadducees would have found very familiar. With the logic of a Pharisee and the zeal of a convert, Paul responds to those in Corinth who say there is no resurrection. If there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain. And your faith has been in vain. As if that language were not strong enough, Paul goes on. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. And then also those who have died in Christ have perished. Why do you suppose Paul gets so worked up over this question of resurrection? Who among us has never wondered if Jesus' resurrection really happened in exactly the way that the Gospels describe? Who among us has never considered the Sadducees' perspective, never wondered if death might actually be the end? Paul responds so vehemently on the subject of resurrection because the Christian faith cannot exist in the absence of resurrection. God came into the world so that he could reconcile the world to himself. As St. John puts it so famously in his gospel, God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. As long as earthly death continues to exist, and as long as God's goal is eternal life for us and him together, then there must be a means 
by which we can escape death. In the absence of resurrection, the billions of people who have died in faith have simply ceased to be. In the absence of resurrection, the martyrs died for nothing. This is why Paul refuses to accept the idea. This is why Paul says to those who do not accept the possibility of resurrection, if for this life only we have hoped in Christ, then we are, of all people, the most to be pitied. Or, as it is rendered in the venerable King James, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, then we are, of all men, the most miserable. A few years back, a parishioner made an appointment to come and speak with me. All he told me in advance was, I want to know where you stand on a very important question. <laughs> I tried to imagine what that question might be, but my guesses could not have been further from the truth. I prepared myself to offer a thoughtful comment on any number of issues that were facing the church and the society at the time. But my friend's question did not relate to any of them. Sitting in my office, he asked, Do you believe that the resurrection is literally true? His question caught me by surprise. My friend was not interested in where I stood on the passing political questions of the day, even though I suspect he and I might have disagreed about many of them. No. He wanted to know my answer to the question that undergirds the Christian faith's answer to every other question. My answer was, and is, and ever shall be thus, the resurrection is true. New life is God's gift to all of us. And for that reason, we should never, ever give up on hope. At one time or another, and perhaps more often than not, we will all find ourselves playing the role of modern-day Sadducees. We will wonder about the mystery of eternal life and the peculiar mechanics of resurrection. In those unsettled moments, we may be able to find some short-term intellectual comfort by choosing to see resurrection as something other than what it really is. In those moments, we may be able to simplify some of the world's overwhelming complexity by explaining away resurrection's mystery or by saying that the biblical stories of resurrection are merely metaphors and hyperboles. But in those moments, in those unsettled moments, I pray that we will choose another path 
harder path, a more mysterious and windy path. In those moments, I pray that we will find the strength to choose to believe the radical, supernatural, and even fantastical truth that the God of all creation came to live with us so that one day we might come to live with him. This truth is the good news of the gospel. This truth is the message of the martyrs. And this truth can provide a limitless supply of hope for our future. Live as resurrection people, my sisters and my brothers. Live as resurrection people, comfortable with mystery, filled with hope, confident of eternal life with God. Amen.